Hey, hey, what's going on? You are in the clubhouse with Mr. Lewis. This is an uncensored podcast. It's also unscripted, where I meet with people who are making a difference in the community and let them tell you their story, not only to enlighten you, but maybe to help you. I have my first guest. She is an accomplished author. She is a mother. She is a graduate of Cal and Stanford. I feel stupid saying that. And I believe she also has a master's degree. This is none other than Miss Joy Elon. Miss Joy, how are you this evening? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, tell me the city at large and anybody who's listening out there on Facebook and in podcast land, your story. My story, where do I even begin? Okay, I'll tell you where I'm from. Um, I claim Oakland and Berkeley, but um, I was born in a hospital in Berkeley and then my mom lived in East Oakland and back then nobody was trying to give birth to Highland, so I was born at Alta Basin, Berkeley. <laughs> So that's why I claim both cities. Um, for all of you listening, there's nothing wrong with your headpiece or anything. It is the way I talk because I was born with a hearing loss. I had an umbilical cord wrapped around my neck at birth. And fortunately, because the doctors found it and cut the cord off, I was able to live. <laughs> And then um, I was in the hospital for a few weeks. They didn't find out I wore, um, I had a hearing loss until I was six months. And I've been wearing hearing aids since I was 15 months. So that's a year and three months. <laughs> so, and I'm about to be 37 years old. So I've been wearing hearing aids my whole life. Wow. Hell, that's a prison sentence to some people. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> hey, hey, hey now. But... So, speaking of your, your hearing loss, what obstacles have you faced growing up, be it from teachers, uh, fellow students, because we know how students can be assholes and teachers can be too, um, but what obstacles have you faced and, and how did you overcome them? Okay, we have different types of obstacles that I face. Um, um, first, being that... I'm a, a black woman in East Oakland, growing up in the 80s. No, my mom didn't smoke crack. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got to put You're that the out one. there. Um, but no, um, but at the same time, my mom was a single parent, and she raised me not to think of myself as disabled. Or well, back then, they say handicapped but we don't say handicapped anymore. Right. So, you know, my mom didn't treat me any different, and she told me I already had three strikes against me, and that is, one, I'm black, two, I'm a woman, and three, I have a disability. Um, there were going to be things that people didn't think I was going to be capable of doing, and there were going to be barriers I was going to have to break down. So... I'll start with, one, my mom, just because, oh, she was an AC Transit bus driver. That's a bus company out here in the Bay Area. 
Y'all uh, know the bus. Yeah, y'all know the fifty six seventy two L. Y'all know. Y'all know. Um, my mom was educated. You know, I come from a family of teachers, so my family didn't believe in excuses. Thank God. They didn't treat me any different. So my mom taught me how to read, how to write, my math. So by the time I started kindergarten, I was in special ed for the deaf hearted piano in Oakland. The teacher couldn't teach me anything because I was a band. They said, ma'am, um, I don't know what to do with her. She knows everything I'm trying to teach the other kids. I suggest we put her in a regular program called Mainstream. And she'll fit in, and that's exactly what happened. I, the my teacher said that I was too advanced for kindergarten. She wanted to promote me to first grade. The first barrier was special ed. You know, specialist, a white woman, of course, said no. So my teacher was supportive of me and my mom. So she just said, let's just put her in a regular classroom. And um, I was so good with um, academic, still mm-hmm. am. <clears throat> the other thing was, my, I come from a family who graduated college. So gra- going to college, UC Berkeley and Stanford, that's nothing. <laughs> I mean, that's something to the family because I broke tradition. But um, I wanted to go to UC Berkeley at six years old. I knew that was where I wanted to go. My family went to Southern in Louisiana, and I was like, no, nah, I want to do Shout out to the Jaguars. <laughs> right. But I wanted to do something for me. I said, I want to go to Cal Berkeley. And my mom said, you gonna, I'm just going to have to work for it. And I did for the next 12 years. Oh, Okay, so I, I have to ask this question. We, we're going to go back to like elementary school and, and high school and the like. But but I have to ask this question since you mentioned it, okay? So you you graduated from Cal Berkeley, yes, the Bears, okay. What and how in the hell did you end up on the farm over there with the Cardinal Red? Okay, Mister Lewis, let me explain something to you. I have no control over who accepts me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get that, but you went from being a bear to Ooh, the farm. They okay, fight over so, the axe every year. Okay, so let me tell you. I went to Cal Berkeley. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I graduated in three years. I went to summer school every year. Oh, you went um, to Smarty Yard, niggas. I get I, you. I, I, didn't, you. I party hard after summer school, you know, but anyway. Um, but I was serious about finishing my degree. My major is African-American Studies. I wanted to major in, I wanted to go to grad school, and I wanted to do my uh, master's in education. Okay. Well, Berkeley, it probably wasn't a good choice at the time, but Berkeley had a dual master's PhD program. I guess I didn't fit that portion Whereas I probably should have just applied just for a master's and then mm-hmm. reapply for a PhD. That's a lot of work. But anyway, I wanted to stay local. <laughs> Everybody was commuting every day from where? Stockton and Brentwood to Oakland and right, San Francisco. Right, right. That's the road. Palo Alto, that's just right there by Fremont. Right. Okay, so just go over to Dumbarton Bridge, which I did. So I said, okay, that's not bad. 
Well, basically de declined me, they denied me, and Stanford accepted me, so that was easy. I said, okay, I gotta get a master's. And I was gonna go for a PhD, but that didn't happen, and I'm kind of glad it didn't. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna hold it against you. It's, it's all right, it's all right. But hey, <laughs> I went to both, so I can't complain. Hey, hey, well. And now, okay, back to the hearing loss thing. As far as I know, I'm the first one from the Berkeley and Oakland Deaf Heart of Healing Mainstream program to graduate from both UC Berkeley and Stanford. All right, all right. Well, if we wasn't practicing social distancing, I'd give you a high five. But, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all good. Congratulations. Now, did you have any teachers growing up, specifically in high school, because now we're a little bit older and it means a little bit more. Did you have any teachers that told you that you weren't going to be able to do anything or they didn't feel as though you were going to matriculate onto college and or to get a degree? Um, so remember, I'm mine. I got to go. I'm going to UC Berkeley. I went, I left, I ended up leaving school just to give you guys a background. Oakland was kind of holding me back. Mm -hmm. And we moved to Berkeley, and once I was at Berkeley, oh, and in Oakland, I didn't get a lot of my accommodation for my hearing disability. I was the only one in a regular classroom uh, with no sign language interpreter or note-taking services. This, you got to remember, this is the 80s, 90s. Oakland doesn't have money now. They sure didn't have it then. <laughs> Nothing changed. Um... So we moved to Berkeley, and all the services that I was fighting for in Oakland for like three years, I got in Berkeley in two weeks as soon as I transferred. So from fourth grade up until high school, um, I had a teach, I had services, and I had a special resource teacher from middle school and high school, the same person, and she knew I always got good grades. Okay. I wasn't a bad student. I didn't cut. I couldn't cut because my mom was the bus driver. And, <laughs> everybody, hey, everybody that wasn't going to happen. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. I looked just like my mom. Yes, that's out. So, might as well just go to school. Yeah, yeah. But, back to the teacher, she knew me. She talked to my mom regularly. She knew what I was capable of. And when it was my senior year... She told me, I think you should go to Lane. I said, <laughs> for the, bitch. For, for, the, for those of you that don't I mean, know, Laney, Laney is a community college in Oakland. But for those of us from Oakland, y'all know it as the 13th grade. Th there you go. Go ahead. So, it's like, damn, you didn't even say CSU Haywood, which, which is right. now CSU East Bay. Right. But okay, we're going to go back to 2000, 2001. Like, damn, you don't even think I can even at least go to a CSU. You're going to tell me go to the 13th grade lane. No, and um, I struggled with that. And I used to tell my mom, I said, yo, she's just so, she keeps putting me down and I don't like it. And my mom is just like, She's a white woman, just brush her off. Just just let it go. Do, do Keep doing what you've been doing. You're going to have people that's not going to believe believe in you or be in your corner, corner. Just brush it off. And that was the best lesson she could have. I mean, she always gave me those right, lessons, right. but 
<clears throat> how to deal with people, um, especially people you have to work with. It's just like that emotional intelligence. Like, say what you want to say. Right. I'm gonna do what I gotta do. And so, uh, so now you've you've graduated. You got your you got your master's. What do you do for a living now? <laughs> what do I do for? A Aside from raise Jada. Um. I work for the county, okay. Alameda County. I'm an admin assistant. People are like, what? <laughs> yes. Um, I also work for Parson Recreation in Oakland. I okay. used to do programs, but now I've kind of scaled back on just doing rentals on the weekend, just opening the rec center for people to have services or parties or whatever. The reason why... I share this is because just because a person have a BA, master's, PhD, if we all remember 2007, which is when I graduated from Stanford, that was when the economy was crashing and right. they were laying everybody off. <clears throat> right. If you guys remember, um, not only was the housing crisis bad, but we we had student loans. And <laughs> you know, if you're my age, yeah, you, yes. And student loans don't care where you work. They right. want their money back. Right. So you got to do what you got to do to survive. And for me, I needed stability. I needed a company that I knew is never going to probably lay me off that gives you seniority, benefit, all of that. And that was why I started working for the uh, city of Oakland. Um, because I was able to, the longer you're there, you get seniority. And then um, I went to the, work at the school district. But you know what's crazy is I wanted to be a teacher in at a community college. But the problem is, is that um, those are, depending on your dis- discipline, they're not hiring. It's all about who you know. So I was working as an aide. Mm-hmm. in the classroom for special ed. And the reason why this is this is challenging for me is, is I really hate this. I had to prove I had education to be able to assist students with the materials like Common Core math and all of this stuff. However, I was getting paid maybe $15 an hour. And that was like... But I have a master's, it doesn't matter. So I was like, well, damn, if I'm doing all of this and I have a master's, I found an admin assistant position at the county, and I said, wait a minute. They start off making $25 an hour and all they need is an AA? I've been applying for jobs where I had to prove I had the degrees and right. everything. Right. And they start off less than $20 an hour. What is wrong with this picture? Right. So I'm an admin assistant, but damn, I'm making hella money. And, and you know, so it's all about survival. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what I like about what I do is I'm still helping the community, right. and I mean, even though I'm doing paperwork, but it's nice to see what the departments are doing for people right. and all of that, and maybe even seeing a career path within those departments so I can move up. Now, you mentioned working for Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. and, I, and I know 
knowing you personally. I know how you feel about Parks and Rec and about the city. What did you see while working for Parks and Recs that you liked and didn't like, uh, specifically as it pertains to the city, how it's run, the mayor, et cetera? Um, let's separate those two. Um, <laughs> it's a conflict of interest a little bit. Parson Rec, what I love about Parson Rec is we're, we're catering to the community, whether it's programs, after school, feeding the kids, like, you know, during the summertime and all of that. I love that part. Okay. What I don't like is the politics. And okay. I will never get into politics, but as a resident, as a city employee, all of those, um, I don't like the politics when it comes to the budgeting. Um, we have to scrap. We right. have to start charging for services and then the community get mad at us. Like, well, we've had free programs. Yeah, if you're talking about from back in the early 90s, it's 2008. Yes, we have to charge something. Right. Otherwise, they're going to find more reasons to close our centers down. And so I hated the politics, but we managed to get through it. Um, as for the different mayors and council members, I appreciate the mayors that were supportive of what we were doing and fighting to see how we can um, keep going. Right. As for those that took our budget away, you know, to me, I feel like they didn't care about all of Oakland. Right. You only care about your district or where you're from. You don't care about Poplar, which is, you guys know, if you right. do know. Right. You know, you don't care about West Oakland. Right. You don't care about I Arroyo. Maybe the council members may do when they're right. trying to do something at these communities and they see what we're doing. But if you're from the top and you don't care about the whole city, that's a problem. Oh, I'm sorry, but oh, you care when gentrification comes in place and um, you want to cater to those residents. Right. And you want to hold something at my center for those people. But what about the people that have been living here since it was the army base? Um, Black Panther Party, what about these people that have been living here and they grew up here and they're trying to save their homes and all of that? You don't give a shit about them. Right. And that's what I struggle with. I love my city. I don't agree with all of the politics. And I can go on, but I don't want to. <laughs> I <laughs> no, really don't. Well, no, sister, we need people like you to keep up the fight because if we don't, we will fall by the wayside. And you're right. I mean, you had the situation before the coronavirus pandemic took place uh, with West Oakland and how they were having that issue at McClyman's. And the parents at McClyman's are not only concerned about the uh, whatever was found at the school, their bigger concern is you guys have never done anything for West Oakland. And now it's like everybody's seeing it. Because they're just like, oh, we'll put you over in schools. I mean, you got kids, again, before the pandemic, you got seniors in high school at a damn elementary school. Like, they're serving out their sentence. They weren't going to get a prom. It was a lot of things they weren't going to get. And then this pandemic came, and it was like, okay, we're closing down all the schools anyway. So it doesn't matter. No, it still matters. 
It absolutely matters. And West Oakland especially has always felt slighted. And if nobody speaks on their behalf, it, it will, it'll continue. And I don't know that anybody's going to reach in there and do anything about it. Um, and so, you know, people like yourself, we, we need you to so, continue that fight. Thank you for saying that because this is how it gets into where you have to talk about me as the writer. Now, the writer... She does her own segues, too. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. So, all of these things about me, as you see, I'm from <clears throat> Oakland. Uh, my grandparents taught in Oakland school. <clears throat> my family, all of that. We went to Oakland school. So, there's generations here, okay? Um, the thing is, I pay attention. So this is one of the beautiful things about me is I guess because I can't hear well, I like to read. And reading helps me understand what's being said. Y'all don't believe that bullshit. That girl can hear, okay? I've said stuff to her from across the room and mumbled it. And she's like, what's your ass say? And now y'all know, I, well, there's a rumor going around that I talk a lot of shit, but we're not here to talk about that. But the girl can hear me. I, I don't know if she got some state-of-the-art Hearing aids. Actually, I do. Well, I don't look. She must have got them during the Obama administration, but she got some hearing aids out of this world. The girl can hear. I still don't believe she's deaf. But anyway, go ahead and talk about. So, I love knowledge. I love to read. And I'm always reading, which is why I'm an African American studies major. I said, well, I need to read something. I need to major in something that I know is going to be relevant, whether I teach. Whatever. It's of interest of mine. And major African American studies helped me to be the writer that I am today because now I know I can remember certain things in certain classes where we're talking about dilapidated buildings and someone said, what is dilapidated? I said, you don't know that word? (laughs) But they wouldn't because... They don't live in a dilapidated condition. Right. They, they live in the Berkeley Hills, so of course you wouldn't know what a dilapidated, what it means. That's not something, that's like gentrification. How did that word come about all of a sudden? Everybody knows it. Absolutely. We know what it means. Right. But before then, okay, okay, if you paid attention to Boyd in the Hood and right. Phyllis were talking about yep. it, but I was a kid, right. ain't nobody talking about it. Well, I do remember the cast. You know, for how design part, but right. So all of this is that's just information. That's just words here and there, and then it makes you say when you hear it, you're like, wait, what is that? It it goes into my writing in this way because I'm always trying to process everything I think, hear, whatever information I get. It's like, well, what am I gonna do with this information in my head? I write it out so it can make sense to me in certain ways or just to share information. Mm-hmm. So I started off writing poetry. Right. Poetry was easy because it's about expressing your feelings, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that was the easy right, form right, of writing. Right, right, Um, I love music. It goes hand in hand. Poetry was the easiest thing for me to publish because... I was my own editor. I can't have an editor writing, reading my poetry. And as we know, Bay Area slang, Hella, and all this right. stuff, we say hyphy. 
I can't have someone on the East Coast editing my work and they don't know the slang. Right. They're trying to think I'm trying to say hello. I said, no, I meant hella. I said hella. There's an A, not a O. Or they'll just steal it like they did E40. Oh, never mind. They didn't do that to E40. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> so it's just, um, I published my first poetry book and then... I started hitting up open mics just to mm-hmm. get myself out there. My mom was like, yo, you got to hit the open mic scene. That's how you're going to build connections. And th- once I got into the open mic scene and I started reading poems from my book, I'm like, I don't, and then I started hearing the other people like you would see on Deaf, Com- um, Deaf Poetry Jam mm-hmm. and all of them. You're like, oh, I was like, okay, I need spoken word pieces. And that's when I would go back and write new pieces and actually my best pieces are from my second book but like take my poem about i'm a survivor that's all the stuff i know in african-american studies based on the way america is built based off of the policies that were happening then the policies that are happening back then that affect now all of that it just became this one big old poem and it just clicked and clicked and clicked and clicked and then I wrote it. Performing, you can catch it on YouTube. I won some awards with that poem. Plus, I do it in time. Oh, you got money. I ain't got no money. Oh, well, never I, mind. Wait, wait, wait. We're talking about five years ago. I ain't got no money. That money gone. Anyway, so then the poem about institutional freedom, about me having student loans. and Right, right. You know, all of this. All of this is because I'm always reading them, always processing information. Poetry is easier for me to write it out because I can always go to open mic, practice, blah, blah, right. blah. But then I realized people don't always read poetry. So then I started writing articles. And so then, for most of you who know the whole story about Lake Merritt with the white lady calling the police. Barbecue Becky, where you at, baby? Oh, uh, the people that it happened to were my editors for Dope Era magazine. Dope Era, Mr. Fab, and his and the uh, crew and the crew. The um, I saw the wife that it ha- who was filming this whole thing. Okay. I saw it on her uh, Instagram, and she was recording it. And I said, "Oh snap!" And I said, "I told her, yo." Thank you for using your white privilege to stand up to this white woman. Right. Because her kids are black. Her husband is black. Right. This is how you use white privilege. Shut that shit down right Right. now. Right. But because uh, she's also a um, journalism student, currently a lady, she was like, I need you to write this because I can't do it because... It's happening to me, so I need. I thought I'm already on it. Now, mind you, I read articles like East Face Express. Right. I read. I'm always reading the newspaper every day just to see what happened. And I said, Oh, I know the perfect thing to say for this article, cause I remember the whole. If we all remember, Festival at the Lake. Right. Why did y'all shut that down? Right. Karajama. The beginning of the whole gentrification thing. Right. Why are you um, stopping the drummers? Right. We are not doing anything to you. Stop coming in our space, interrupting us. Right. I said, oh, I got it. 
And that article was written, I had to watch the video, but I already knew to how to just introduce this whole concept, this whole history of Oakland at the lake. Even my mom told me, oh, we used to drive around the lake, and then they put no cruising. Yeah. Yep. And so all of this stuff, like, okay, I remember my mama saying this, I remember reading that. I know how mm-hmm. to come take all of this information and make it into one package and just deliver it for you. And for those of you who are too young and don't know and don't remember the festival at the lake, uh, the best way for me to put it is... Art and Soul. Festival, yes, exactly. It, it's festival. basically Art and Soul is the news. Right. Festival at the lake was Art and Soul at the lake. At the lake. And it was live. And, I mean, I remember being there. And I remember seeing the likes of Tupac and Humpty walking through there. You know, they, I mean, walking down Grand Avenue like it wasn't nothing. And Tupac was Pac at that time. Mm-hmm. He was he was with uh, Digital Underground. Right. But people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. People knew who Humpty was. They knew Money B. Of course, we knew Short. And, I mean, Richie Rich. But you had all these guys that were there. Mm-hmm. All these Oakland rap legends would come through. There was nothing happening. Everybody was just chilling. And, you know, you go to the lake now, and it was kind of trying to get back to that. And then this situation happened with with Barbecue Becky. And then we started having Barbecue and Wild Black. Right. And so, right. I, I mean, which is cool, but it's still, even with that, when I was interviewing the organizers of Barbecue and Wild Black, they even said how... The first couple of times they had it that year, it happened, what, oh yeah, that was like two years ago now? Right. Um, it was easier to host an event, but when they saw us flooding the lake on Lakeshore Avenue, mm-hmm. white people mad across the street, they mad, they mad, they, and it's like, you know, they said that the, um, the fees and permits just kept going up. Yeah. And they constantly doing fundraisers just to do this for the community. But it's like, man, we don't have anything left for us out here. You're right. And that's my job as a writer is to document when I'm inspired to or I feel I have something to say. I feel like everybody's saying the same thing and it's just like, I don't have anything else to say. You guys already said it. So that's why I haven't been really writing. I try to, I mean, I'm an original person. I got to come from the heart but if other people they do it for a living they already saying i'm not gonna forget it well tell 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 the public the name of your books i have seven books <laughs> okay when the damn i have seven okay the first book uh, how about this just go to amazon and you'll see all seven of them my name is joylon j-o-y space e-l-a-n Everything is, all my um, social media handles are author Joy Lam because there's a Joy Lam photographer in Georgia. She's white. I'm not. <laughs> almost. I think. I'm, I'm, hey, well, thanks to the damn Chilton Place, I'm almost <laughs> white. Shoot. The only reason why I'm not white is uh, people will know because my hair is nappy and I need to get wow. my hair touched up. And she's also a comedian. I'm going to post everything on the Facebook page so you can know where to go get the books. But one of the books that you gave me, you wrote a poem. And I actually, I don't even know if you want to call it a poem because it's a it's a poem story, but it's real. And I, I would love for just women, but specifically black women, to read it, and it's called Superhero. 
And oh my gosh. Yes. It's in the black book. Yes. Oh my and I have the black book, y'all, but it just reminds me of like every black single mother out there that is doing her thing. And I mean it's at every turn she has something to do. She is being counted on at work, at home, you know, in the yard, etc. It's just Everybody's asking her to do something, but they're not asking her to do it at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12, 1, 2. They're asking her to do 15 things at 9 o'clock. She has 10 more things at 10 o'clock. 15 more things at 11 o'clock. Uh, you know, the, the rest yeah. of the day goes on, but she has to leave and, and go be mom again. And then she has to come back to work and she has to do this. What was your inspiration for that and was uh, Miss Jackie and for those who don't know uh, the late Miss Miss Jackie Bowler is her mother was your mother mm -hmm. an inspiration for that poem okay so the poem he's talking about is in my second and I we I cleaned it up because the first the second book was raw cussing if you want that book get it um it's 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 more towards the um older young older teenagers young adult side but it's called silence is not always golden a poetic revolution the clean version is silence is not always golden the power of spoken words and and i did read it so i already know but i'm gonna let you tell them you tell me where the inspiration for the title silence is golden came from Silence is not always golden. Silence is not always golden. Yes. Well, first you asked me about the superhero. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about that first. So the superhero. Um, this book was written in like 2012, and my daughter was four, and so or turning four, whatever, but. I was doing a lot. I was doing a lot. I love superheroes. I love, you know, X-Men and all of them, Batman. And I felt like I am a superhero. I just don't have a cape. Right. <laughs> I don't, maybe I don't want one anyway. <laughs> I know some brothers, if, uh, if you go down a few blocks, I know some sisters that have capes on, some brothers that have capes on. Yeah, I'm cool. Hey. Are they on crack? I mean, yeah, they're on that superhero. They're on that kryptonite. But, um, so I talk about the, like, I love, um, Thundercats. I name all of that, but the whole point is <laughs> Thundercats. That, huh? Yeah, I love Thundercats. I'm a Leo, so I was, my favorite was Lionel. I had destroyed when I was a kid. Okay, that's a whole nother story. Thundercats. Thundercats. I'm not old enough to remember Thundercats, for those of y'all listening. Huh? Uh, I don't. I'm not old enough to remember you, Thundercats. Yeah, you remember. Shut up! I don't remember Thundercats anyway. But it's just the idea of I was what maybe 27, 28. Mm -hmm. It's like man, I have all these responsibilities, and I think my daughter even said it. I think that's how I came up with this poem. She was like, "You do a lot." I was like, "What do I do?" And she's like, you work, you write, you go to the gym, you 
helping grandma cooking it, I, and and see it from a kid's perspective, dang, that that is a lot. It's a lot. But for me, it's like for it doesn't seem like a lot because I know how to multitask, like most women do. Men, I don't know about y'all. Y'all can't do all that. But now, nah, so I hey, just we, came we up can with smoke that. crack and work. That's multitasking. Some of us smoke crack at work. Some people still while they at work. You're multitasking. Don't laugh. It ain't funny. We multitask. You know? And then y'all get fired because y'all dumbass didn't realize you're on camera. That's all right. We get unemployment and we smoking crack. We still multitasking. Unless you get fired on your day off. Anyway, well, you might. And for stealing boxes. What are you trying to build a clubhouse? Right, exactly. That's all you can do. Hey, they, it could be a um, a mobile mobile home. Anyway, multi. You got a wife and a girlfriend. You're multitasking. So see. That well, hey, you ain't getting paid. I love well, right. Anyway, okay. Then back to the title. Silence is not always golden. I came up with this title because the term silence is golden. I'm like, no, it's not. If you close mouth, don't get fed. You right. want change, you got to speak up. Otherwise, nothing's going to change. Right. At the same time, I don't like people who talk a lot of smack or talk like they're going to do something. They don't do anything. Words and action have to go together. Um, you can be doing a lot of something, but if you don't have a plan to execute it or some type of direction, you're just going and just not making any progress. You can talk a lot of, we got to fight the power and feed the kids. Okay, well, well, let's make it happen. I was just talking. Really? This is, and this is why we are in the situation that we're in now. People are talking. It's not a lot of doing. Right. And those who are doing, we're, we're breaking down because right. we're shouldering the burden of everything and people want to take credit for our work no i'm i'm talking i got tired of you talking about it i I had to do something about it i'm doing something about it but i'm not maybe making a living off of it right or um people want to take credit for what i'm doing no 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 (laughs) And so I say silence is not always golden because, of course, also being from Oakland, I I respect Martin, Malcolm, Rosa, but being from Oakland, I really have respect for the Black Panther Party because yes. if it wasn't for them, which is why I say this is why I work for the city of Oakland and mm-hmm. County, uh, they implemented the programs that we still use today. Free lunch. But the people forget to give them Absolutely. credit. The free breakfast program, if, look at what Oakland Unified is doing right now during the pandemic. Right. They're telling you where to go get your meal. Right. But they didn't have that before the Black Panther Party. No, they didn't. Um, All these testing services i wish they had they i wish they had their own facility where we could test the black and brown communities that have been exposed to the coronavirus right instead of us being turned away and even hiring i mean you know if even if a lot of us don't have jobs with health care all of that 
So, like I said, I this is ideas. Now mm-hmm. I'm talking about it. Like, Man, this see, well, no, absolutely. So this is how all of this come into play as being a resident, being a homeowner. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you guys this too. Being a homeowner is the most. Uh, you cannot change anything being a tenant. You cannot. You're paying a landlord. The landlord is the one, uh, as long as they're paying the property taxes, <laughs> you're not really going to be making a change. You're not changing anything. You're wondering why maybe your schools are falling apart. It's, you need to be a homeowner. Absolutely. Um, Especially if you have kids in the community. Because the landlord don't probably even live out here. No. Their kids don't go out here, especially if you're paying that kind of money for rent. Oh, no. All of this stuff, but being a homeowner, being an employee, I do believe it's important to work in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, as an artist, I try to support other artists, especially now that I'm financially able to do that. I like to support my local businesses as much as possible because I understand the importance of a dollar. All these small businesses that have been impacted due to the shutdown. Um, Speaking of which, Lois the Pie Queen, you will be seeing me uh, tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. You know, I'm going to keep coming back. Speaking of local businesses, go ahead. Yeah. Um, Because... We already lost so much in the last, what, 10 to 13 years? Right. We don't have any clubs out here. Those that are still going, please stay going. But, you know, we're losing a lot of our community stuff. Um, and people are leaving. Yes, And when we leave, they take over. They change the landscape. What I look like? I'm the only black person on my block living in a multi-generational home. Yeah. And everybody else around me, I don't know my neighbors. I, and I'm powerless in a right. way because it's them versus me. It, it's, it's funny you mentioned the whole leaving thing. A uh, good, good friend of mine, somebody who I consider one of my big brothers, uh, Reverend Antoine Miller, uh, was doing a eulogy at Baker in West Oakland when we both worked there. And he was eulogizing his brother who spent his whole life living in West Oakland. And he wasn't wealthy, he wasn't powerful, he just lived his whole life in West Oakland. And I never forgot this, and I never will forget it as long as I have a sound mind. Reverend Miller mentioned how you have had so many people, so many black people, that lived in West Oakland and in the inner cities, and they flocked in droves, Antioch, Stockton, Stockton, Pittsburgh, the ones that weren't already out there, mm-hmm. but they flocked out there and to get away from quote-unquote Negroes. Mm-hmm. But then the Negroes Fire followed in. them out there. So now they wanted to move back. But uh-oh, you can't afford to get back into Oakland. Mm-mm. So he was like, so, you know, if you have a home, if you were gifted a home, meaning your generations kept it, you know, sent it down to you, keep it. Live in the community if you can and try to make it better. Don't just 
sell it off and get the money and take off and run because you're going to want to come back. Oakland is a central location, whether you folks like it or not. You're 15 minutes away from San Francisco with no traffic. If you like going to Hayward or Fremont, most of the time there's no traffic going out there. You know, it's 20 some odd minutes. You know, you're an hour away from SAC, an hour away from Napa. Where are you trying to go? And you still work out here every day. So that's how I came up with that poem, Old Oakland versus New Oakland. Yes. Because, Talk about that. Um, so, again, here's this writer of me. I was reading articles all the time about gentrification. I've been... This is why working in the community is so important because I get to see it happening right in front of me. Right. And it gives me writing materials. The first thing I realized that because of gentrification, I was working in Poplar back in 2008. Poplar Park. Um, West Oakland was the first place before they started moving out, moving towards the east. Right, right. The only reason why, the only reason I know this is because and my park was about to get shut down because of kids not living in the area or going right. to the programs or whatever it was. So it was election day, uh, June 2010 or whatever it was, one of them election. The people lined up <laughs> all white with a spec the black people. So if if you at this if you're at my recreation center at a polling place, that means you live immediately near this right. center. Absolutely. So that was the first thing like, oh snap. Then they had meetings every other month called West Oakland Neighbors. It was white people. They were complaining. The black neighbors like what they talking about? They talking about me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Man. I said, what you, and they said, man, you, they better not be snitching. Well, what you going to do about it? Nothing. Why don't you just go in the meeting? Right. Nah, because I don't feel comfortable. Well, then shut up. Right. So you want to make, you want to let, let your presence be known, not just by handing out on the street? Go in that meeting. It is public. It's not a private right. meeting. Right, right. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. Well, okay, then. If they're in there talking about you. Right. You wondering why the police presence is up? It's not me. I work for the city. They right. don't person back in police department sometimes work together. Right. But most of the time we don't. <laughs> um so that was the you know, that was the first part of the whole gentrification. Then the next part was let me see, I wrote that poem oh Oh, no, forget everything else. Okay, besides the drummers and the churches yes. getting fine. Right. How are you going to find a church right. for a choir practice? Right. You're supposed to research your neighborhood before you move in. And I believe that was Pleasant Grove on Adeline. And it's Adeline, for those of you who don't know, is a I man. I thought it was th Taylor Memorial. It could have been Taylor, too. It was, both you know, of, it was both of them. It was both of them. And Taylor, so Taylor and, and Pleasant Grove are both on main thoroughfares in West Oakland and they're both on the corner. They're both on the corner. And they have choir rehearsal. Black churches have religiously had choir rehearsal in the evening. They don't have choir rehearsal at noon. They have choir rehearsal at six, 
seven o'clock. Yeah. And it usually lasts until what, eight or nine. Yeah. Sometimes it spills over to nine thirty. Right. But yeah, they did. They moved into the area and were like, You guys can't keep up this racket. It's a church. It's not a racket. It's not a racket. So then um that was the next one. But the final point of it all was of course we all remember this. Although I'm proud of them. I know you're not because you're a Celtic fan. But when the Warriors won. Don't remember that. I know y'all have some. I do. <laughs> but it changed the whole landscape. You used to be able to go down to the floor. There ain't nobody was seen no Warriors before. Hey. They start winning. E-40 starts making songs. Hey. You, you just changed the um. Now we got parade. Listen. Now we on the spotlight. Now you're kicking the homeless people. Oh, the homeless. It, it's just, so then this poem, okay, really the title came from, okay, let me tell you this story because this is beautiful. This is how this whole thing. I was nominated for Social Change Maker for the Oakland Indie Award in 2015. Okay. That was the, um, Libby had only been in office a few months and she was the speaker. Okay. And so it was down at this, you know, right there at the waterfront in Jack London. And so she's like, let's give it up for the new Oakland. And me and the young man that organized Barbecue and Wild Black and another, we was like, who, who new Oakland? Who are you talking about? Right. right. Because all the people that were getting awards besides Jeffrey, Jeffrey, he won for being a um a legend or Jeffrey's inner circle. Right. So of course he gonna get it. Right. Everybody else was all new. Right. Tell me like, wait a minute. When we had the reception downstairs, Netta Brielle was performing and she said when she said that intro, y'all, I'm from here, from here and she said, How many of y'all from Oakland? Me? And the two other black people that were nominated for awards were the only ones making noise out of a room full of hundreds of white people. Mm-hmm. That was that was the biggest, like, because they were all entrepreneurs. And they were all in this one room. And I was just like, oh, snap. This is what this is about. So then I just came up with it. Um, oh, next door. Oh, my gosh. Next door. I don't have it. But I was reading about it, and I was frustrated, and I just, just came up with this poem, and I just got to writing. And I just talked about it. It takes place in 2015. It's in my book, Holding On To My Pride. And then that became a short story. Mm-hmm. It's a fiction ball. Also, um, you know, non-fiction. Because I had to come up with a, a way to capture audiences. A lot of people don't always read poetry, blah, blah, blah. So I wrote a short story about being in Oakland in 2015, raising a son, working two jobs, um, working at the center, also as a professor because, oh, that's the other thing, we're not having high, uh, full-time physicians. So, you know, just the struggle of it all, the, the change of everything. Right. And I wrote that book, but that poem is the main one. And yesterday, yesterday was a two-year, um, <laughs> a 
20-year anniversary from when I performed it, my poem about gentrification. And I was, at this, I was asked to do the poem because it was speaking, it was a fundraiser for homeless women. But what was ironic was the guest speaker was the mayor. <laughs> Oh, you spoke so on the you audience. spoke on gentrification in front of Libby Shaft. And the, the room, everybody else was black, and they cheering me on, and she's sitting there awkward, and I and I said the talk, title is Old Oakland versus New Oakland. I'm Old Oakland. You talk about New Oakland. You know what she said at that speech uh, back in 2015. Wow. Okay. You know, yeah, I'm the type. If I'm gonna talk shit about you, I'm gonna talk shit about you to your face. Yeah. And Don't I know it? So I did. So yeah, it was it was. That's one of the greatest things about my writing is. I never know who's gonna read it, who's gonna hear it, but I love it when I know I'm making a difference and I'm the I'm being the voice for the community. I've been turned down jobs because they think I was going to, I don't know. They knew I wasn't going to be a good fit. <laughs> Speaking of, of, of you reading and, and doing your shows, um, I had the privilege of seeing you speak in West Oakland mm -hmm. at the library. Mm -hmm. And something you, you said, you know, I wasn't there that long, but it, it stuck with me. Please tell the story or, or the I don't know if it was a poem or how you, you uh, worded it uh, about the police and you being deaf and how you worry about, you know, when you get pulled over, uh, them understanding that you are deaf as opposed to not being inebriated, not wanting to listen to them. Go ahead and tell tell the listeners that. <coughs> um. Okay, so here's another thing. Um, I wrote an article. Yes, yes. Thank you. See, I write so much, I have to remember, wait, what's the context? Yes. It's like having kids. You got eight kids and you can't remember their names? She can't remember all the stuff she wrote. I know. Wrote. I, I, I don't know the name of my books. I don't remember... <laughs> the name of each little title unless it's a signature piece. Yes. So my very first article that I wrote for a, a blog site, Broadcast Stewart, was The Dangers of Driving While Black and Deaf. Okay. So this article came about, see, this is what I'm saying. Everybody's talking about, you know, Philando Castile and all the, you know, just being black and being at the wrong, and, you know, the police. Right. All of that. Um, I don't care if you're going to the store, whatever. It's a police interaction. We all know black people, slave catchers, whatever, the sheriff, all of that. We know the history of the police. They're not our friends, if, you know. So um, everybody was talking about it's so dangerous to be black. I said, okay, I'm going to throw in another factor. You're black and you have a disability. I have friends who are physically disabled, they have cerebral palsy, they may not move. Um, the police always pick on them, like they crackheads, and, 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 and maybe they can't communicate right, as well right. or whatever, but you're picking on a person who obviously has a disability. 
really. Well, that's a physical disability. Now let's talk about the hearing disability. I can hear, I can talk. These red things in my ear are not beats by gray. They are hearing aids. Then yes, people think they are <laughs> headphones. Well, hey, the way they're making these Bluetooth. Anyway, so what happened was that article that I wrote about it's bad enough. I know sign language, but I don't need it to communicate with. I mean, first off, I'm not going to use sign language to communicate with a person like you right. who doesn't know sign language, really. Right. Um. So... Sign language, we all know this story with black people. We know this. When they shoot us, they always got this two things. We want obeying or we were moving. Right. We were were moving too fast or making sudden movement. That's what they always say. Right. Those are the main two things. Now, you're deaf. The first thing you're going to say is you, you already just know to keep your hands on the steering wheel. How are you going to tell them, I can't hear? Right. Second thing, you start to move your hand to show them that you're deaf or whatever, they're going to shoot you. Right. So I came up with, that was my very first article, and it got so many hits because I shined a light on something where a lot of people wouldn't think about. And so um, that's what I'm saying. I use my writing to... Educate people, pass information on, and that one was that was my probably one of my most proudest. And that was one of my most proudest articles that I wrote, and I took all my articles, the barbecue, I'm black, all of that. It's another. It's not really called barbecue and Becky. Right. It's, it's a right. real title. Right. But I was the one who broke that story. May 2nd, <laughs> I believe it says May 2nd, uh, 2018, on Panther Times. And then Channel 4 News saw that article. And they said, we want to interview your sources. And I just told my editor, hey, they want to hire you. Well, so you, you, you definitely have a lot of stories to tell. And uh, I got a few more minutes with you. So if you, have, if you have a little bit more time, I'm going to do another segment with you. Yeah. Um, so uh, y'all sit tight. We got another one coming. We'll get it to y'all pretty soon. Once again, this is Mr. Lewis with Miss Joy Elon, and you are in the clubhouse. We'll get back at you in a minute. Peace. Hey, hey, this is part two of our interview with Miss Joy Elon. She has talked about growing up in Oakland, her writing, gentrification, barbecue Becky, uh, driving while black and deaf, and speaking of being deaf, and I don't want to harp on it, but whether people want to admit it or not, or whether they realize it or acknowledge it, you do speak two languages. Tell them what those two languages are. Spanish and English. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> Actually, technically, you don't speak sign language, you do sign language. Well, you, yes. Well, yes, I, English and I, sign language. So, so I, I know you're fluent in sign language. Uh, hold up. Okay, here we go. Let me explain <laughs> that. Break it down. 
it's like okay, a Chicano student you your grandparents speak Spanish, you understand what they saying. Right. You know you communicated well, but if, you, if your parents don't really speak a lot of Spanish and right. you y'all speak English, um, you lose that in terms of speaking it. You right. can understand it, but you have a hard time speaking it. That's me with sign language. I understand it. Right. I have a hard time doing it because I don't do it every day. Now, now let's stay there for a minute. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian. There are divisions, if you will, between the two. There's always rich and poor. We, we all know that. Um, with, with Latin Americans or just Latinos, period, there's where you're from. And I'm not talking about Hayward, Oakland, Fremont. I'm talking Mexico, El Guatemala, yep. El Salvador, mm. Honduras, all those places. Puerto Rico. Right, Puerto Rico. Black folks, you do have rich, poor. You have light skin, dark okay. skin. Well, I know that there are people who are completely deaf. Mm -hmm. And all they do is sign language. And I've heard and been told by you that some of them resent those who can hear mm -hmm. and do sign language. Mm -hmm. Now, explain that to me and where it comes from, why they resent you, and why some of them, if not all of them, won't necessarily uh, accept you. So... Black community, perfect example, because I'm I, I I can share this example. I can share this experience by both of these, being light skin, and um, being hard of hearing. So like light skin, we all know the history of that. You know, you um, you trying to be white, that's not good. Um, right. Um, uh, and then. But of course, there's that historical background. I can't help that I came out like then, whatever. So, um, being born with a hearing loss, but it's, it's, I can't explain, technically I have 80% hearing loss. Right. I can't explain how did, that's like being 80% blind, but you can still pretty <laughs> see very well. Right? Right. That doesn't make any sense. Right. But based off of what they say by how they measured me, even to this day, I have 80%. But how do you hear so well? How do you speak so well? Maybe it's because, for me, my situation is different. Number one, mine was because of a default at birth. An right. umbilical cord wrapped around my neck. That automatically sets you up to be tested for all kinds of things. Right. They wanted to make sure I didn't have cerebral palsy or whatever due to lack of oxygen. But they caught whatever they caught. We also have to remember back in the 80s, back then, before sign language and deaf and disability rights. Although, yeah, you in Berkeley, you got disability rights, but deafness is not always a visual thing. Right. You don't know somebody's deaf until you try to speak to them, until you, you, 
you know, you try talking to them, or you may see them using their hands or whatever. That's how you find out somebody's deaf. Um, it's, it's just now coming to light where you got to be proud. And deaf people, they have this identity. Sign language is ours, just like black people. We're trying to claim what we got. Right. We can't, we don't even own the music industry. But hey, they making money off of us, but we're the ones doing the rapping and all the songs right, and all right, of that. Right, right, Well, deaf people, they have American Sign Language. They have their own culture. They, they don't feel like something is wrong. And I totally get that because I don't agree with the cochlear implants where hearing parents find out their kid is deaf. They want to fix them right away. A cochlear implant... To me, it's very invasive. You gotta crack a baby's skull and oh, yeah. implant something. It's to me that's just too much. Right. Give the child time to develop. Right. Let them make that decision. Quit trying to fix people. I'm a perfect example of, um, and I have deaf friends. Like oh, the younger generation, we're a lot better at that. But back then. When we didn't have deaf role models, no Molly Matlin does not count, and I say this all the time. She's a white, rich woman. Right. She's not from East Oakland. Good old Marley Matlin. I used to watch that show on NBC. So. Right. Um, I applaud her, yeah. Right. The, late, the deaf lady on Sesame Street. Okay, but they're white. <laughs> Where are the black deaf people? Damn. Hey, I'm telling you, this is rep- representation no, I get matters, you. I get right? You. So deaf people, uh, now remember I told you, in, I was mainstreaming, a regular classroom. Right. They used to segregate us. The Oakland Deaf Program used to be so big growing up before students started going for California School for the Deaf in Fremont. Yes, CSD. But, um... They first used to segregate us by, I don't want to say, well, no, it is segregate. They segregated us by how much you could hear. So my first few years of elementary school, from preschool to maybe second grade, third, fourth, I'm with kids that can that are hard of hearing like me. They talking smack. Um, our parents, we all black or um, uh, Cambodian. You know, we all students of color. Right. Um. But then when we get to the regular population, when they finally decide to put all the deaf, hard of hearing kids in one school, oh, that was a different, oh, you think you better than me because you, um, you can hear? No, <laughs> I have no control that I can hear. Shit, leave me alone. Good hearing bastard. But this is, and this is, this is exactly how I became the jokester. I talk smack because I had to because, okay, I'm light-skinned. Even back then, I had a jerry curl. I was looking fly, but okay. <laughs> um, but it looked like I had it going on. My mama loved to shop. I had I was cute. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not cute now, but I, my mama what happened? had me looking like a fashion show every day. Um, you got to remember, this is the 80s, okay? So this girl used to pick on me. I don't know why. She was older than me. Anyway, I used to tell the teacher, yo, 
get this girl. She's picking on me. And I used to tell my mama, man, this girl keep picking on me and the teacher not doing anything. My mama was like, whoa, if you don't whoop her ass, I'm going to beat your ass. So you need to figure this out. <laughs> now, par- parents who are just coming out, if you do that now, they're calling CPS on your ass and you're going to jail. You can't tell the kid if you don't beat their ass, I'm going to beat your ass. That's what they used to tell us back in the day. Back then. You, don't, you fail this test, you ain't eating. You don't beat that kid's ass, I'm beating your ass when you get home. So the girl kept messing with me and I just, you know, I'm just like, I'm not confrontational. I'm not. But you pissing me off. And, you, and this is before the whole coronavirus. This bitch used to get in my face. So, it's a deaf part of him. <laughs> you have to talk and do sign language at the same time, which is hard to do. That's like, you can't speak English and Spanish at the same time. You speak Spanglish, right. there's an English word here, Spanish word there, right. but no. And yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. That's how much I can hear. I know the difference. But, um, so the girl kept picking on me. And just one day, I just told her in sign language... <laughs> Man, you need to get out of my face. Your breath stank. The kids didn't hear me say it. They saw me say that. They started laughing. The girl started crying because I just clowned her. But mind you, she been picking on me for the last however long. She was deaf? She was hard of hearing. Okay. So everybody else, and then, you know, because you you when you are uh, in a deaf classroom, you sit in a, like a, a U where you can see each other yeah. or a C. So everybody saw me sign that to her, not hear me say that. So you clowned her in silence? Huh? You clowned her in silence? No, I, I, I said it and oh, I signed oh, it. damn, that's so fucked up. So you across the room, you deaf, but you saw me. You know what I said? I clowned her breath. <laughs> she started crying. Now, mind you, I've been telling the teacher about her picking on me forever. The teacher gets on tell me, go in the corner. What? Okay, I'm on time out. And then I took it like, it's the end of the day. I'm just going to stay in the corner. She's like, you ready to join the class? No, I'm going to stay here. Oh, <laughs> that was my first time doing time. <laughs> but no, but so the deaf part of hearing community, that um, they, they've gotten a little better with me now. Right. But back then, um, why, did, why do I sign... Okay, perfect example. Uh, black people, when we we speak with great grammar and all of that, we're talking white, right? Yes. So yes. back then, they used to teach us signing exact English is when you sign every word that's in English. You don't do that in ASL. Um, like we, like I'm speaking to you right now. You are sitting on the chair. Okay. In ASL, you would say. You, as the person, sit, point to what you want, and then you say share. It's condensed. Okay. It's not, you're not saying it, um, you're not signing every English word. And so, um, I used, I used to struggle signing ASL. I'm a little better. Sign language change, just like language change. I'm not up to code on the latest signs for certain things. I may sign the old thing. They'll be like, oh, she, she, what they, it's a, it's, um, there's a sign for hearing. But if you put it up here, 
It's like an Oreo okay. for a deaf person. You're hearing brain. Oh, you want to be like them? And it's like, no, no. I'm not trying to be like anybody but myself. But the deaf community, although we are getting more, well, I would say it depends. There are those that are uh, born deaf because that's generation. Right. Oh, they really like deaf culture. Woo, woo, woo. You will kind of see a lot of that at the school for the deaf in Fremont, mm-hmm. which I didn't go. Plus, back then, I wouldn't have been a good fit because I was too hearing. <laughs> so I'm just saying, they discriminate against their own people. I'm I'm coming to you for refuge. I'm, it's like I was. It's like trying to be an X Men. I'm coming to you for help, and you're gonna tell me no. So I'm just gonna go with Magneto I, then. Fuck it. I I just, I just want to say you hear too good to be at our school. Why don't you go across the street to the good hearing school, and you can be over there, and you 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 can get your education. You can't come here because you hear too good. That's some bullshit. It is. That's some bullshit. And so, um, I got my deaf friends from Berkeley. Um, they were, <laughs> my classmates, they were more white. Um, they, it's, you know, it's a difference because my mom didn't learn sign language. I was teaching her. Over there oh, in Berkeley, that my parents, my friend's parents are writers, doctors, lawyers. They got the money. They got membership to declare my hotel, which was around the corner yeah. from my elementary right. school. You know, they got the resources. Right. So they didn't pick on me as much because they understood where I was coming from. They, however, their parents weren't trying to make them hearing. Their parents were trying to give them their deaf culture. Right. And so, you know. My best friend there, she ended up leaving the school for the deaf and coming back to the regular public school, Berkeley High, with me. Because the school for the deaf wasn't going to give her what she, she said she wanted to be able to be in both worlds. And that's true. It's like I'm a black person in a white person's world, especially here in America. I'm a hard of hearing person in a hearing world. Well, I, like people say, I've never seen a deaf person work before. I know. I know. <laughs> Me neither. No, I'm joking. I know we work, but we don't really be in um, high positions in the public. Right. We're usually at a school for the deaf or um, teaching at a deaf college. Maybe one or two, maybe teaching sign language here at Stanford. But that's not often. Right. Well, I mean, what, you're teaching sign language, of course. Right, right. Well, what, you know, I don't see anybody like me at the county picking up the phone and typing up memos and whatever. It's, it's, you know, so, yeah, deaf people resent me because I can function. Well, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, she's, she's talking about you don't see deaf people doing a lot of stuff. And, and I can say this firsthand, it's, it's fucked up when you get clowned by somebody that's deaf and they clown your ass good because Joy will clown the fuck out of you. Yeah. And you just sitting there like, damn, you know, you want to say something back and you may not be able to say something back. She's a cold piece. She, she, she's a beautiful girl. She's a sweetheart, but she's a cold piece. We're going to switch topics here for a minute and, and, and start to uh, wrap this up. But I want to end it on a, on a lighter note. Um, I'm going to give you a, a word, a phrase, and I want you to tell me Uh-oh. 
what it means to you. And I want you to tell me a little bit about it and, and, and why you, uh, you feel the way you feel about not only this phrase, but the person behind the phrase. Square biz. Oh, Let man. me hear it. What do you want to hear? Well, well, first, well, for those of you who don't know. I mean, this, no, I tell them what do you want me to say about it. Tell me about the, the, the phrase, what it means to you, what the song means to you. And what the artist means to you. Square biz, everybody knows square biz. I'm talking square biz, baby. I mean, keep it real. Square, um, square biz. Um, but really, the debate behind this, okay, that's the first female rapper on a song. Somebody said, no, Blondie was the first female rapper. No, she beat Blondie. I think by a month or two or something like that. For, for, what, for those of you, so I'm, I'm going to tell you who the artist is. Okay, all right. So the artist is, and if you don't know, you uh, you do know, but you tripping. But um, it's Tina Marie, and Tina Marie is a dope white artist. Um, I'm Rick James, bitch. Nah, Enjoy Rick yourself. James, yeah, his persona, but him as a producer. He's the one that groomed her. Right. Um, he's actually the one that, as they said on, on Sun, gave her that street cred. Yeah. And what I love about her is, okay, nice. perfect example. I wear hearing aids. But I knew damn well when my mama said, that's a white lady. She's not saying no white person sound like that. That's a black person. She said, yeah, yeah, well, that's what they wanted us to believe. Now, mind you, I didn't find out about Tina Marie until I was nine. Okay. That's like 1992. Tina Marie been out over 10 years by then. But, um, and the first song was Ooh La La La, and I just loved the way she sang it. And then, um, but what I really got to appreciate her music, I, um, you know, besides Ooh La La La, Portuguese Love, of course, everybody knows Fire and yes, Desire. Portuguese Love, I love all that song. Of that. But when I really, um, started to enjoy when I heard her one song, Love a Girl, all of these, I would go and buy the actual album with my lunch money at Berkeley High, at Amoeba, that's the album, the record, yes. would be two or three dollars. Yep. And I would protect it real good yep. in my backpack and bring it home and play it in my record player. And that would be my cleaning music. Everybody else played gospel on Saturdays. Yes. My mama hated it when I played Tina the morning. She said, oh, Lord, you cleaning. I said, well, she said I had to clean. But no, but what I love about Tina Marie is also um, all her stuff, she always wrote her music and stuff for probably a couple of songs on her first album. She became probably the first female producer, mm -hmm. arranger, all of that on her third album, which is Irons in the Fire, where it was all her. And from then on, she, um, except for Square Beard and Ooh La La La, right. she co-produced with someone else. And I just love her music. I've had a chance to see her. I've been in her fan club forever. I was trying to get on that dumb show on um, MTV Fanatic. <laughs> they never called me. But um, I made a fool of myself at her concerts a few times at the Hemi. Oh, girl, you make a fool of yourself all the time. All the Don't time, but it. no, but in front of my favorite artist. 
Yeah, I was almost escorted out, but um, damn. The death girl got escorted out. Damn. <laughs> but it was um but when I really I already knew what she was capable of, but when I saw her live and she combined her version with Ulala with the Fuji version, she could rap, she's still rapping some new stuff. I'm like and she playing, she running around the stage, playing the instruments, all of them. The conga drum, the guitar, the saxophone, tambourine, I, I don't know. She can play it all, and I was just like, wow. And her music changed my life. I don't listen to it as much because I like to listen to her when I'm on the road and the windows are down, I can turn it up. Can you but, sing? Huh? Can you sing? I can sing something. I mean, shit, I know what okay, I know what My something. mama was shocked that I could sing. Cause she said, "How the hell can you sing? You can't hear." That's fucked up. And then, <laughs> <laughs> for the record, her mama said that. My mama, That's my mama clowned me all the time. But I said, I don't know. But I do know how to sing on key. I hate when I go to church. Everybody's singing. It's not a sing along, and somebody's off key, and I'm just like, "Damn, can you oh. please be quiet? Just, just say the, just be- mouth the words. Don't sing." Before we go, <laughs> you gotta speaking to your mama and her clowning and you clowning and all that shit. You gotta tell the story of your mother and you and that chair and your text message that you sent to her when she wanted you to bring her that damn chair. That shit was out of pocket. Oh my god. Um. Mm mm mm. Okay. Right. Me and my mom were very close. We um. She's my best friend. She taught me how to clown. We we fed off of each other. We were good like that. So my mom uh used to cut hair, and she had this one customer that came very very early in the morning before she went to work. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was sitting in her chair and she asked me to get her hair cutting chair and, and went in the kitchen and I went to bed and forgot to do it. So she texted me, <laughs> um, I thought I told you to bring my chair into the kitchen. And me being tired, I texted back. <laughs> the dis- the subscriber you're trying to reach is not taking messages at this time. <laughs> Please try again later. <laughs> and my mama looked at it and said, "What the fuck? Get the fuck ass up!" <laughs> and like two minutes later, she hear me bunning in the chair and shutting it down. Then I can go to bed. It was, and I'm talking about different was 2017, 2016. Oh my god, this. See, she's deaf, but she's an asshole. She, don't, y'all don't don't let the smooth taste fool you. She is an asshole. Well, Miss Joy, it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast and having you in the clubhouse. I appreciate it. You take care of yourself. Continue to be the young lady that you are, the mother that you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keep in touch with the show. Let us know when you have shows or when you're going to write something again so I can let the world know. Uh, 
I would give you a hug, but we supposed to practice. And speaking of shows, there ain't no distancing. shows until twenty twenty one anyway, cause everything canceled. Well, Craig the Crackhead. When I leave here, Craig the Crackhead is having a show, uh, right off the freeway underpass. I'm sure he with is. With him and all the homeless, they they having a tent light show. <laughs> so I'm gonna get over here before, you know, uh, the police get there. And move them away before they move them to another part of Oakland. Maybe they'll move them over by Dixon's on 90th and East 14th. But that'll be for another show. Uh, you be good, honey. Yep. Uh, to my my adoring fans out there, all one or two of you, I appreciate you listening. <laughs> and uh, I'll be back soon with another installment. And once again, you are in the clubhouse with Mr. Lewis. Peace.